Regeneration. The new birth. Notice the state that we were pre-conversion in verse 3. Enslaved to various lusts. Helpless. We couldn't do anything about it. So God had to act on our part for us. He rescued us. The kindness and mercy of God. And at that moment when he regenerated us, beloved, we were freed from the pleasure of sin. Now, you know, a lot of people think, well, hey, I don't delight in my sin all that much. Come on, you're being a little hard on me. But I want to take you to some scriptures and I want you to just ponder them and, you know, just write them down and listen, but don't necessarily turn there. Second Timothy 3, 4, we're all familiar with it. It mentions lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They love pleasure more than they love God. Psalm 4.2 mentions those who love what is worthless and aim at deception. Psalm 11.5, those who love violence. Psalm 52.3, you love evil more than good. Proverbs 1.22, they which delight in their abomination. We love it. We love our sin. It's not just that we're sinners. We love our sin. But unconverted... Converted, we should be repulsed by our own sin nature. We should want to distance ourselves from it. It should, it should grieve our souls that we, that we can't get away from our sin. Romans 5, 6 says, While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So how is this accomplished? How does it play out? How does God do it? Well, negatively, he does not take away our old sin nature. He does not eradicate it. But positively, he communicates to us a new nature. And the two go at it. <laughs> God places a holy awe in our hearts. Proverbs 16:16 16, 16 says, The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. Right? Then he communicates to us a new nature. Romans 5:5, 5, 5, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. God pours out His Spirit into us. And then as one author put it, where the love of God rules the heart, the love of sin is dethroned. We have to love God more than we love our sin. And only God can do that. Well, you might ask, what if I don't, what if I don't hate my sin? What if I actually kind of like my sin? Well, then I think you better see if you're actually saved. You better take a spiritual temperature and say, why do I continue in that sin when God hates it so much? Am I really his? John two, uh, 1 John 2.15 says, If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We should, like Paul, cry out, O wretched man that I am, who will save me? from this body of death, right? Shouldn't that be our lament as well? And then we should get to Romans 8 and we should say, thanks be to God, there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. But, but folks, we should have that struggle. It should be there. We should be mortifying our flesh daily. One writer said, many are unconscious 
to such bondage to their sin. He said, uh, listen, listen to what he wrote. One reason many have never realized their bondage to sin may seem very paradoxical, but it is nevertheless very true. It is because they have never tried to get free. There is a yard where a dog is heavily chained. The dog, however, is fast asleep, and so he does not realize his bondage. Later on, we may even notice the dog eating his food, still chained, but as the food is close to the kennel, his chain is not irksome, and he is thus still unconscious of his bondage. But soon comes the owner of the dog, who, forgetting the chain, calls the dog. You all can picture that visual there. What's the dog going to do? He's going to spring up and he's going to run at his master, right? But what happens? All of his efforts are in vain for now the first time he feels the irksomeness and restraint of his fetters. It is exactly similar with sin. Try to get free and you feel your bondage. Try to get free. Try to break away from it. And you'll see. You'll see that it is holding you in bondage. From the time of Genesis 3, we have been slaves to sin. We're born slaves. And then that passage in John, you shall be free indeed if the Son sets you free. By God's grace and His holy calling and through our union with Christ, we have freedom from the pleasure of sin that holds us in our grip, holds us in their grip. The great uh, hymn writer Charles Wesley You're all familiar with this song. I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. But it says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That's regeneration. God frees us from the pleasure of sin. Secondly, he frees us from the penalty of sin. That's our justification. Back to Romans 8.30. Those whom he called, what did he do next? He justified. Right? He called them. He justified them. This follows on our regeneration, which is evidenced by true repentance And undying faith in every soul that truly puts his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. They are freed. Freed from the penalty, the wages, and the punishment of sin. We're freed. Stop and think about that for a moment. From the fall in Genesis 3, for thousands of years, we have been born slaves to sin And now, because of Christ's death, we have freedom. We have freedom. And the reason I spent so much time on depravity last week driving that home is because if you don't feel like you're a slave, if you don't feel like you're a sinner, then, beloved, the grace of God is not going to mean a single thing to you. You're not going to feel freed from anything. Big deal. I could have done that myself. We need a stand-in because of our depravity. We cannot save ourselves. 
So Jesus Christ had to do it for us. All of God's righteous demands, all of his all of his wrath that was due our sin was placed upon that substitute and then nailed to that cross. And when Christ died, he took all of our sin with him. We were justified. Justified by faith in him. We all remember this verse. If the wages of sin are death, right? The wages of sin are death. So who's going to pay up? Who's going to pay up? Christ paid up. I'll just take you to Romans 5. Look at Romans 5, verses 18 and 19. This is like a trip through Romans here this morning, but this is our common salvation. This is what we, we are here singing about this morning. This is what we are doing here, is that we have been set free. We are no longer captives. We are no longer slaves. We have been set free by Christ's death. Romans 5, 18 and 19 says, So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's obedience the many were made sinners, even so, I'm sorry, disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Second Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When Christ died on that cross, beloved, he took all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our iniquity, all the sin that we deserve condemnation for, and he took it with him into death. And then he credited all of his righteousness to us. It's like we have lived our life in perfection before God and like Christ lived as a wretched sinner for us. It's all imputed to him. You know, this is particularly heinous to the liberals. They think that God requiring a blood sacrifice is kind of beneath him, right? God doesn't need a blood sacrifice. He could just forgive us, right? No, he can't. God cannot just turn his back on sin. He is righteous. He is holy. He is just. He had to satisfy his own wrath is what he had to do. Somebody had to pay for our sins, and Christ did it. You're familiar with these passages. You can write them down. Isaiah 53, 4-6 Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for what? For our transgressions. He was crushed for what? Our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being fell on him. By his scourging, we are healed. That's the good news of the gospel. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. You're justified. 
It's on the basis of faith, faith alone. We're justified by faith alone. We're justification is a legal declaration. It's forensic. It's outside of ourselves. We're not righteous all of a sudden. God has declared us righteous on the basis of our faith in Jesus Christ. It's outside of ourselves. Colossians 2, 13-14. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. We're freed. We're freed from the penalty of sin. Back to that uh, passage we looked at in Acts when Paul preached that passage in 13, Acts 13. He, uh, he said, To you we proclaim forgiveness. Remember that? Justification or freedom from the penalty of sin involves forgiveness. God had to forgive us somehow. And that is why this is a cornerstone of apostolic preaching. And I'm going to take the time to do this with you. Turn to Acts 2.38. God had to forgive us. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, this is, we're all familiar with this. This is the, uh, the sermon uh, on Pentecost. Peter said to them, Repent, each of you, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance. Jesus Christ. Forgiveness. You see the combination there? Acts 5.31, go there. This is uh, Peter preaching again, and he says, He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and what? Forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. You'll find the same thing in Acts 10.43. If you want to turn over there. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness. Just so I make myself clear, everyone who believes receives forgiveness, but not everyone can believe. If they are in bondage to sin, they cannot believe. Look at verse uh, eleven, eighteen. You should be right there. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. God grants repentance. And if you flip back over to Acts 13, Paul gave that wonderful message, everyone who believes is freed from all things, right? Acts 13, 39. But what does it say in Acts 13.48? 
When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life did what? They believed. It is the grace of God that turns our hearts towards him and frees us from the penalty of sin. Repentance and faith are fruits of the regenerating work of God and his Holy Spirit. God grants repentance. He grants belief, but they merit nothing towards salvation. They don't earn us our salvation. They are fruits of God's work in us. One author said this, Repentance is the hand releasing those filthy objects it had previously clung to so tenaciously. I love that. Faith is extending an empty hand to God to receive the gift of his grace. You understand that? We clutch our sin and we got to let it go with open hands to receive God's grace. It should have been us hanging on that cross. I know we've all heard this before, but it's good to be reminded. We're justified by God's grace and freed from the penalty of sin. I want to read to you what this... uh, Listen to this guy's name. 1740 to 1778, Augustus Toplady. How's that for a name? He was a preacher and a hymn writer. Just listen. From whence this fear and unbelief hast thou, O Father, put to grief? Thy spotless Son for me? And will the righteous judge of men condemn me for a debt of sin, which Lord was laid on thee? If thou hast my discharge procured and freely in my place endured the whole of wrath divine, Payment God cannot twice demand, first at my bleeding surety's hand, and then again at mine. Complete atonement thou hast made, and to the utmost farthing paid. Whate'er thy people owed, how then can wrath on me take place, if sheltered in thy righteousness and sprinkled with thy blood? Turn then, my soul, unto thy rest. The merits of thy great high priest speak peace and liberty. Trust in his efficacious blood, nor fear thy banishment from God, since Jesus died for thee. Those beautiful words. We need to understand the depth of our depravity to understand the extent of God's grace. He rescued us. He rescued us. We've been freed from the pleasure of sin, regeneration, We've been freed from the penalty of sin, which is our justification. And third, we've been freed from the power of sin, which is our sanctification. I'm going to have you turn over to Romans 6, if you will. I've got to go out of Romans 8 for this. Romans 6, look at verse 4 to 7. This is our sanctification. This is our practical sanctification, or that in which we are made holy, set apart from the world. Therefore, we have been buried with him, verse 4, through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, 
For he who has died is freed from sin. Romans 6, 11 to 14. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Finally, Romans six twenty-two to 23. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. So what has happened? Well, because Christ destroyed sin's dominion by his death, and because believers are united to that death, then it's illogical that we should be under sin's control. Christ died and he took all of our sin with him when he died. When he was raised, he was raised anew. The sin no longer there. We were raised up with him, Ephesians says. We are raised up with him. Therefore, sanctification needs to take place now. And that is the process whereby we attack and kill our old self. We mortify the flesh. We mortify our desires. Union with Christ in this respect accomplished two purposes. It destroyed the old body of sin. The old man was crucified in order to destroy itself with all its corruptions. And then beyond that, it destroyed the old man so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. We've been freed from the pleasure of sin. We've been freed from the penalty of sin. We have freedom from the power of sin. And although victory over sin is possible because of Christ's death, the the believer cannot be passive in the process. We cannot sit by and expect time to change things. We have to attack our flesh and kill it. We cannot self-reform. We have to do it in the power of the Spirit of God. I have one quote that defines sanctification for you, and I'd like to read it for you because it's one of the best quotes I've ever read on the subject. I've read it before. Some of you may have heard it. Holiness of life is not simply attained by moral effort, nor even by striving to keep the law of God. It is not even a matter of letting go and letting God. Practical holiness involves putting to death what God has already sentenced to death on the cross and living out the new life given to us by the indwelling Christ. Human effort is required, but not apart from nor distinct from the activity of God's Spirit, who subdues the flesh as we mortify it in his power and we set our minds upon the things of the Spirit. That's long, but it's worthwhile. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24 will tell you the same thing. One author put it this way. He said, sanctification is like the Israelites. When they came into the land, God told them repeatedly over and over to possess the land, but he had to keep telling them because they weren't doing it. And that's sanctification. We, through our union with Christ, have been given the land, so to speak. We've been given the freedom from the sin, from the power of sin's grip over us, but we need to take possession of it. 
We need to take possession of it. Paul said in Galatians 5, 16 to 17, Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. We need to attack it and kill it. And the passage of time does not change or sanctify us. We need to be active in the process. I hate going to the gym, (laughs) as many of you can tell. I hate working out. I don't like the gym. But you know what? If I don't get some exercise, I'm never going to get in shape, am I? And it's the same with our spiritual condition. You will never sanctify if you don't work at it. You must attack and kill your flesh. It will not change itself. You cannot self-reform. It's not going to change overnight. It's going to be a long, hard battle. But you have victory over it. You have victory over it already. Christ has given us freedom. I think I can get through this in five more minutes, Ron. Can I do it? I'm going to go for it. Fourth, we have, through our union with Christ, we have freedom from the pleasure of sin. We have freedom from the penalty of sin. We have freedom from the power of sin. And finally, fourth and finally, we have freedom from the presence of sin. And what do I mean by that? I'm talking about glorification. If you go to Romans 8.30, what's the final thing in the string of the golden chain of redemption there? Those whom he justified, he also what? Glorified. Our glorification. That's what we have to look forward to. Notice it's a past tense. Even though it lies in the future, it's a done deal in God's eyes because he has justified those who are his. He has foreordained them to eternal life. He has called them. He has justified them. He has sanctified them. And he will glorify them. And at that point, folks, we will be free from our sin, finally and fully. What we're really talking about here is the blessed hope. We're talking about the return of Christ. We will be glorified when Christ returns. Not when you die. When you die, your body of sin and death will go on to corruption. But when Christ returns, what happens? The dead in Christ, what? They arise and they meet him in the air. And then we will see him face to face in our glorified bodies. Now, legally, we're already in possession of this truth because of our justification. By faith, we're justified. We're declared righteous. It's already a done deal. But it lies future. Philippians three twenty to 21. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. By his power that brings everything into subjection to himself, he will glorify us. That is what we have to look forward to. We will be fully and finally free from our sin. Free from its presence. I don't know about you folks, but there are days when I get really sick and tired of my sin. I get tired of doing battle with my sin. I get weary. I get tired of sickness. I get tired of physical pain. I am so looking forward to a glorified body. 
How about you guys? Amen. We have glory to look forward to. Again, you can look at these verses. The resurrection is a cornerstone of apostolic preaching. Why? Because if Christ was glorified, we will be glorified with him. Acts 2.39, note the promise. Acts 3.15, Acts 5.30, Acts 10.40, Acts 13.30, 33, 34, 37. The resurrection is a cornerstone of apostolic preaching. I'll just summarize here. Our freedom from the pleasure of sin is because the Spirit of Christ taking up residence in us. That is our regeneration. That is our freedom from the pleasure of sin. Our freedom from the penalty of sin was Christ's crucifixion. All of our sin went to him. We got all of his righteousness. We are justified. Our freedom from the power of sin is because of his Spirit's operation in our lives. That is sanctification or practical sanctification. And our freedom from the presence of sin will be when Christ returns from glory and we get our glorified bodies. That's glorification. Hebrews says, How shall we neglect so great a salvation? That is our common salvation, beloved. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you do not know these glorious truths, then I invite you today to repent and receive the forgiveness and the freedom that God offers you in Christ Jesus. We'll have some counselors waiting over by the cross. If you would like to give your life to Christ or make a decision, or if you, beloved, are struggling with sin and cannot seem to acquire freedom from it, then again, we have counselors that can talk to you. We'd love to help you with those things. If God has called you to himself, then you must repent. And you must embrace Christ by faith. Let's pray. God, our Father, we only have to explore our own hearts to know that the salvation that we have is a free gift of your grace. Lord, we could never have done anything to earn it. We still, our Father, could never do anything to earn it. Lord, we simply rely upon your mercy and that sacrifice that was made by the Lord Jesus Christ and by his blood, which atones for our guilt. Lord, thank you for saving our souls. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.